Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Mimiverse Monthly Audiocast. I am your host, writer-director Christopher R. Mim, and as I usually start the show, I have a question to ask you, and I think it's very important I ask it right now. Actually, it's two questions. Are you there? And are you listening? And I ask because I've noticed that a lot of people who listen to podcasts often put them on and sort of put them on in the background as noise, and they're not really paying attention. And I'm telling you, in this episode in particular, I'm going to share with you some very important information that you can internalize if you are a filmmaker, a wannabe filmmaker, or someone who has worked on independent films. Because I realized that by having this podcast all to myself, I have a unique platform with which I can teach a few things. And I think there are certain things out there that need to be learned because I'm a, a introspective guy sometimes. And I sometimes step back and ask myself, why is this like this? And why is that like that? Why am I dealing with this? And why am I dealing with that? What annoys me? What doesn't? What's going well and what's not? Over the last decade of doing this independent film thing, I've learned a few things, and I, I've noticed a few patterns, and I've decided that these are things that would probably be useful to share with all of you out there who might be listening. But before I get into uh, the lesson of the week, and maybe this will become a regular thing, before I get into that, let's talk about what's going on in the Mimiverse. Exciting things, in fact, where Skeeto Nazi Hunter is finally filming. We have five whole scenes complete as of the recording of this, and a whole slew of them obviously coming up. The script is still very dark, and I'm actually quite excited by this. If only because it is a bit of a dramatic departure from the tone of some of my films, and I think I've discussed this a little bit, but you know, when you write a movie about Nazis and human experimentation, you have two choices. You can either play it sort of so over the top it becomes a joke. For instance, Iron Sky. If you haven't seen that movie, it's about Nazis on the moon and they decide to come back to Earth. And it's ridiculous. It's very much over the top. And that's okay. That's one way you can definitely treat this subject. I mean, it's a heavy subject on its own. World War II, Nazis, you know, the horrible, horrible things they did to people. So that's one way to go. The other way, I think, is you have to treat it somewhat seriously, even in the context of a cheesy monster movie. Yes, I'm making a cheesy monster movie about a man who, upon seeing blood, turns into a human-sized mosquito monster, but... Ultimately, the story ends up being about this guy's life being completely ruined, having been tortured mercilessly with human medical experimentation and turned into a monster, getting his revenge. That's what it's about. It's a revenge tale and a dark one at that. It's not Quentin Tarantino dark, um, but it's dark for me and... This is much more of a, a horror movie, and it's 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 kind of a psychological thriller horror movie more than I've done. A lot of times my movies tend to be a little more science fiction, and there's science fiction elements to this, obviously, but it is very much more of a horror movie, and so I'm excited. And what's coming together is very creepy and very awesome, and I'm very excited for y'all to see it. Sorry, I just totally betrayed my northern roots. I'll try that again. I'm really excited for you guys to see it. There, that's better. So that's pretty much what is going on in the Mimiverse, is that I am, in fact, filming, finally, Where Skeeto Nazi Hunter. And if you know me, uh, and even if you don't, but you know my movies, and you can sort of judge by the fact that I stuck my guns on every single one and finished them all. Basically, I have this thing at the beginning of the production of any film. I've written scripts I never finished. I've written scripts I finished and never filmed. But the moment, the moment I take a penny from anybody to contribute to the film, I'm going to make it. 
or at least I'm going to make a film. But the moment I've decided that I'm going to make any one particular movie and basically locked that course in is the moment I begin filming something. I have never started filming something and abandoned it once I started filming. Seeing as I have filmed five scenes, this movie's happening. Dang it. Whether or not it gets done in time to release it in October as I wish, things happen, we'll see. But I'm going to finish this damn movie if it kills me. So you can rest assured, someday you will be able to watch Where Skeeto Nazi Hunter. The one thing that every film needs is money. Movies, they're just not made in a vacuum. I am not independently wealthy, though I wish I were. Thus, I'm going to ask you again to consider, if you have not, or even if you have and you want to give more because you're really excited by the fact that this movie's going to happen, please contribute to Where Skeeto Nazi Hunter. Every penny you spend goes right into the production of this film. Go to wearskeeto.com, W-E-R-E-S-Q-U-I-T-O.com. To contribute, get your name in the credits, and you'll get a copy of the movie, or you get to come to the premiere, and as I've always talked about, premieres are awesome. You should come to one if you've never come to one. We have people come in from all over the country just to experience this, because I promise you, it is not just going to a movie. It is an experience you will treasure forever. And if that sounds hyperbolic, it is, but it's also true. I have several people who will come in almost every year, despite their financial situation, despite how far they must come just to go to the premieres of my films. Because the experience of going to that movie is greater than even just seeing the movie. Even if the movie is the most amazing movie ever, I think the experience of going to the premiere trumps the quality of the film. So take a moment and imagine yourself giving to this production and helping it become as awesome as you know it is going to be. And getting to come to the premiere. And maybe getting a copy of the movie. And while you're at the premiere, you'll meet all of the cast and crew and get autographs. And and believe me, it's just, I can't just, I can't explain it. There's something really exciting and fun about going to the Mimiverse premieres. That's why we, we always do them up. That's why they sell out, is people have realized how fun they are. And I want to see you there, damn it. So let's go. Do it. Do it. Because that's the only way you're going to guarantee to get to go. You know, the, the Giant Spider was the last movie that I think I made that really had the kind of enthusiasm behind it based solely on the title, like Where Skeeto Nazi Hunter does. And um, I like to brag because it's it's part of my personality sometimes. I like to be humble, but I also like to brag. So I humble brag all the time, I guess. Uh, that's a term, right? But I like to brag about the fact that the giant spider sold out within 17 days. Where Skeeto Nazi Hunter is on track to have the same kind of effect because of the title. I was recently at a very cool convention in Colorado Springs called Galaxy Fest. And I met a woman who came up to the table just to sort of check it out. Uh, her name was Leslie. And I talked to Leslie a little bit about what it is I do. She seemed quite excited by it uh, and bought several films. I had a poster for Where Skeeto Nazi Hunter on the table, and she said, What is this? Do you have this? I love that title. I don't know what it is, but I love it. And I said, Oh, that's the one I'm working on now. Um, if you want, you can contribute 25 bucks to the production, and you'll get your name in the credits, and you'll get a copy of the movie or ticket to the premiere or whatever you'd like. And, you know, you get a cool frameable certificate as well saying that you contributed. Uh, are you interested? And she she looked me dead in the eye and went, hell yes. So this is the kind of reaction that I used to get, that I got a lot with the giant spider. Late Night Double Feature was a little vague. Danny Johnson Saves the World, no one knew what the hell that was. Although they really like it, by the way. It's doing very well. I'm going to talk about that in a second. But where Skeeto Nazi Hunter was the one that when I tell people that title, they're like, oh, I want to see that movie. I want to make sure that gets made. So I, I, I'm confident, very confident, 
that this will track much the same way that the giant spider did. So if you have any plans of coming to the premiere, the best thing you could do is contribute to make sure you get a ticket to the premiere now instead of waiting and potentially not being able to go. And Leslie, if you are listening, thank you for your contribution. It will not be wasted. I just said something about Danny Johnson. Danny Johnson Saves the World has been nominated for a Rondo Hatton Classic Horror Award. This is actually the fifth Mimiverse film, so half the films have been nominated, and only one has won, and that was House of Ghosts. The winners are based on votes. People go to rondoaward.com, R-O-N-D-O-A-W-A-R-D.com, and you get a ballot that lists all of the nominations for all the various awards. And in section number seven, best independent film, Danny Johnson Saves the World, is right there. So what you got to do is go to there and vote for Danny Johnson Saves the World to win a rondo. But you have until April 10th, 2016 to get your vote in. Now, everyone can vote once. You need an email address. And that's it. Basically, the ballot is, you know, several, several categories. And you can vote for everything or just one thing if you'd like. And all you do is copy the uh, ballot into an email and select your choices and email it to T-A-R-A-C-O at A-O-L dot com. (laughs) Taraco. It's like taco, but Taraco. That's all you have to do. Uh, Well, you have to do one other thing, and that's tell all of your friends as well. You can only vote once. And so we need votes from every single one of you. We need votes from everybody. And maybe even just, you know, your friends and family who don't even like the movies, but you just like, hey, I'd really like it if you would help out this guy who's tried really hard and makes these movies. And I really like them. And I'd love to see these guys win an award. Now, here's the thing. I have already won a Rondo Award for House of Ghosts. And it was amazing because the Rondo Hatton Awards are really kind of the, uh, they're the Oscars for what I do. I am never going to win an Oscar because I don't, I don't make studio films or films about Ireland or whatever. The Rondo Awards are pretty much as close as it gets for me. When I won the Rondo for the 2012 release of House of Ghosts, it was amazing. It, it really felt kind of like a validation of all the hard work I've put into my films. Now, that's not the appeal I'm going to make because I've already won that one. So I'm not saying it wouldn't mean a lot to me. It still would, but... I really want to push for this time and why I really, really want Danny Johnson in particular to win is that everyone in that movie is a kid, aside from James Norgard, who plays Grandpa. And of course, Michael Kaiser is the robot. All the actors are kids, 13 and under, and they all worked really hard on that film. Most of them had never worked on a movie before. My daughter, Alice, who played plucky little Evelyn Johnson, still gets people when I meet them and they've seen it, they'll they'll talk about how great Alice was. And she really killed it. And of course, Elliot Mim played Danny Johnson and he did a great job of carrying a movie at 12 years old, all while going through a very awkward period in his life. <laughs> but the point is, I would really like, if possible, to bring that award home, not for me, but for them, because they worked their little butts off. They sacrificed, in essence, their summer. I mean, when you're a kid, you remember what summers are like. They're the most important time of the year. Forget school. Summer's where it's at. And they gave up a lot of their summer just to work on my film. And the kids really, really, really did a good job. They really stepped up and and made it amazing. And so what I'd like to do, honestly, is win it for them. So please go to rondoaward.com and vote for Danny Johnson Saves the World. And while you're there, a good friend of the verse, Derek Cook of Monster Kid Radio, which is my absolute favorite podcast, no lie, was nominated for Best Podcast. I believe it's category number 17. Vote for him, too, because that guy works hard. It's one of the most professional, most well-put-together podcasts I've ever heard, and Derek Deserves to win. He really does. He's a great guy and a very good friend of the Mimiverse. So I beg you, go. RondoAward.com. Right now. Pause this. Go do it. Then tell everybody you know. 
Vote for Danny Johnson Saves the World for Best Independent Film and Monster Kid Radio for Best Podcast. I guess I should mention this because this is the early March 2016 podcast. March 9th, Monster Day. The 10th anniversary release of The Monster of Phantom Lake. We are going to be having a party. A little viewing party. We're going to get together. We're going to have some pizza. We're going to talk. I might do some cool stuff that you aren't expecting, uh, but we're going to watch Monster Phantom Lake and celebrate it because on March 9th, 2016, that marks the exact 10th anniversary of the release of the movie that began the Mimiverse. And we're having a little party here in the Twin Cities in Fridley, Minnesota, which is just a little bit north of Minneapolis. If you want more information and you want to buy advanced tickets, there are only 50 available. And actually, we've already sold over a third of them, so we don't have that much space. We'd love to see you there. You'll get pizza. You'll get pop. Pop is soda for those that don't come from the upper Midwest. And we'll have popcorn and we'll watch a movie. We'll have some fun. Cool people are going to be there. Autograph seekers. This is a good chance for you to seek some autographs. And you should be there. To learn more about this event and to potentially buy advanced tickets, please buy advanced tickets, go to sainteuphoria.com, S-A-I-N-T-E-U-P-H-O-R-I.com, slash monster day, all lowercase, no spaces, M-O-N-S-T-E-R-D-A-Y dot H-T-M-L. And from there, you can order tickets and then learn more about exactly what's going on and where to go and... Let's do it. Also, if you go, you get a free Monster Phantom Lake poster. And it's a new one. It's not one you've seen before. You get food, a free poster, community, camaraderie, get to see a cool movie, and support the Mimiverse. All right. So, moving away from uh, that stuff, I did create something that I'm going to release to the public very shortly here. And I want your opinion on it. I want to know if it's worth continuing and pursuing because it did take a little bit of extra work, and I, I want to make sure that that uh, people care. I want to make sure that people want more before I spend more time doing it, just because uh, I'm a busy guy. There's a lot going on. It's an audio file, a podcast, really, that was based on the idea of what would a Prairie Home Companion sound like in the Mimiverse? And with that idea in mind, I sat down and started writing a script a radio script, and I had a hell of a good time doing it. After I finished that script, I called it The Phantom Lake Almanac, which seemed like a fitting name. You may remember, if you've been a longtime fan, that The Phantom Lake Almanac was the original name of the Mimiverse Monthly for many years. Here's a weird little tidbit. Did you know the reason that I changed the name of The Phantom Lake Almanac to The Mimiverse Monthly? It's because I went and saw the monkeys in concert. And at one point during the concert, they showed a bunch of photos from back in the day. And one of them was for a magazine of their fan club called The Monkeys Monthly. And I thought to myself, you know, Phantom Lake Almanac is very specific, a little more to the monster Phantom Lake. And as I add more movies onto the Mimiverse, maybe I need to start being a little more inclusive. Mimiverse Monthly. That's a good name. So that's where Mimiverse Monthly came from. But the Phantom Lake Almanac sounded like the perfect title for a radio show in the Mimiverse that would be very much like the uh, like a Prairie Home Companion. So I wrote it, and I recorded it. And after I recorded it, and I sat and I listened to it for the first time, I thought to myself, good lord, this sounds a lot like Welcome to Night Vale. <laughs> if you don't know what Welcome to Night Vale is, it's a very cool uh, podcast that's been running for quite some time. It's very entertaining and very weird. And in fact, Welcome to Night Vale was introduced to me by by Jason Boland. Jason Boland is a good friend of mine who is also a contributor to the films. Uh, and he's, he's sort of a, a diamond-level contributor, if you understand what I mean. And so he took me out to lunch, and we had Juicy Lucy's, which, if you ever are in the Twin Cities area and you like cheeseburgers... Go to Matt's Bar or the 5-8 Club, it's up to you, in Minneapolis, and have a Juicy Lucy. It's kind of the, it's the true culinary calling card of the Twin Cities. You know, everyone, every place has its own sort of thing, right? Chicago pizza, 
you know, deep dish pizza, pierogies in Cleveland, that kind of a thing. Uh, eating a brat in, in Milwaukee, brisket in Texas, perhaps, fish tacos in California. The Twin Cities' only real culinary legacy is the Juicy Lucy, which is you stuff cheese inside a burger, and then you bite into it, and it burns the hell out of your mouth, and it tastes so good, and it's amazing. Anyway, we went out for a Juicy Lucy because I wanted to introduce him to uh, the greatest burger in the Twin Cities. And I'm not going to tell you which bar we went to because there is some there is some back and forth locally about who actually invented it, Matt's Bar or the 5A Club. I'm not going to step into that. But we went and got a Juicy Lucy and he told me about Welcome to Night Vale. And he said, it's kind of what I imagine a radio show in the Mimiverse would sound like. And that intrigued me, of course. And so I checked it out. Um... And then I binge listened to a crap ton of them. And it is very, very entertaining. And it is very well written. It's very weird in, in a very fun way. And it involves a small town in the desert that is kind of like if every X-File were true and all happened in one town, that would be Welcome to Night Vale. And so after I finished the Phantom Lake Almanac and I listened to it, I was like, wow, this uh, definitely has some serious uh, touches of Welcome to Night Vale. So I'm owning up to that. It wasn't necessarily intentional, but when it all came out, it was like, well, it's kind of hard not to uh, make comparisons, if only because it's it's a similar format. However, I will say that it was more based on a Prairie Home Companion, which is exactly why I talk the way I do, which was me doing my impression of Garrison Keillor, uh, because Garrison Keillor talks very much like this. And when he tells stories, he likes to talk really slow and very in, I mean, it's just, you know, that's him. Uh, and Garrison Keillor, of course, a Prairie Home Companion is based in St. Paul, Minnesota. So it's a local thing. But I decided just for fun to make one episode of the Phantom Lake Almanac and then release it and get input from you guys or if you're in the South, from y'all, and see what it is you thought. See if you like it. See if you want more. See if it's not entertaining enough, or if you're bored, or if you don't think it's funny, or whatever. I just want to know, you know? I mean, like I said, it was a lot of work. And if no one really is that interested, there are other things I would like to work on. But if people are entertained by it and want more, well, I'm more than happy to work on that. So be on the lookout for that. Very soon, following the release of this podcast, I will be releasing that. And however you stay up on the Mimiverse, either at St. Euphoria or on our Twitter feed at St. Euphoria or on Facebook. Either you're a friend of mine on, on Facebook or you're a fan of the page for the films of Christopher R. Mim, you'll know when I release it. One of those places, you'll know. Now, I want to talk to you about a quick lesson that every person who works on an independent film should know and or learn and internalize. Over the years, I've learned very much that making movies is not a democracy. And several people I've come across seemed to not understand that. And that is why I don't work with them anymore. Movies are not a democracy. They are a benevolent dictatorship. There is a very specific hierarchy to a movie and a movie set. You must understand your place within that hierarchy, or else you risk basically destroying the system and creating chaos. The reason why it is a benevolent dictatorship is that you must accept that the movie lives or dies based on the producer's and director's vision. In the end, what comes out of that particular production the film you end up with will either live or die by the director, and he or she will be blamed for everything. Because of that, if you're working on a film, the director, and to a certain extent, the producers, get the final say in certain things. At no time should you step on his or her feet. See, producers, their main job is to pay for things and to guide productions in any particular direction they would like. 
with the logic being, if I'm giving you a crap ton of money, I should have a crap ton of say in certain things. But producers know that they hire, and this is one of the choices they make as producer, they hire a specific director to bring a vision to life. And a lot of times that's an executive decision of which director to choose. You don't hire Brian Singer to make a movie that looks like Martin Scorsese. You don't. You hire Scorsese. That is an executive decision that you make as a producer. Ultimately, the director is the one who's going to get all of the good and or bad crap thrown at them when the movie is complete. For instance, let's look at the most recent Fantastic Four movie. It's awful. And who has suffered the most for it? Did the actors? Not so much. Did the producers? Who are the producers? No one even knows. No, the director. He got slaughtered because he made a crappy movie and was apparently very difficult to work with. In the end, he's the one who has to pay the price. No one else, really. I mean, yeah, the company lost some money, but it's Fox. They're going to make their money back somewhere else. Have you seen Deadpool? Yeah, they're making their money back somewhere else, of which Deadpool is awesome. Don't take your kids. If you're one of those people, don't take your kids. So the director is kind of the dictator. And a good director knows how to listen to his technicians and actors, but ultimately knows when to ignore what it is they're saying. See, the problem with making movies is it involves a lot of egos, a lot of them, and sometimes you run into divas who have ideas and believe that just because it came out of their stupid little mouths, everyone should listen and everyone should bend over backwards to make sure that what they think is right is what should happen. But that's not the way it works. And that's not the way you create a movie. And ultimately, it's not how you create a universe. Several times over the years, I have dealt with actors, technicians, what have you, who, for whatever reason, start to believe that their importance in the grand scheme outweighs everyone else. And then they start doing things that basically end up being nails in their own coffins. Look, as a director, I have a very specific vision of what I want my films to look like and feel like and be. If someone has an idea and brings it to me in an appropriate way, and this is important, in an appropriate way, not while we're shooting. I mean, I guess while shooting, if an actor says, you know, I think it'd be more appropriate if I did this or I did this. And I say, oh, yeah, you're right. Let's do that. That's appropriate. You don't show up and say, uh, so I rewrote the script a little bit. Never, ever do that. Maybe a couple days before, a week before, say, I have some ideas for the script. What do you think of this? You don't just say, I made some changes. You don't do that. And that happened. An actor showed up to a, a scene. He was only in like one scene and he was like, ah, so I made some changes. And he was pretty steadfast in saying, yeah, these are, these are the changes. This is what we're doing. Luckily, his changes were decent. I didn't keep all of them, but I did keep some of them. But it rattled me. It rankled me because, damn it, talk to me about it before we shoot. Because, in essence, it's it's kind of a dick move because you're pushing me into a corner of being like, no, we're not doing that. And suddenly I'm fighting with you. Uh, and, you know, potentially you're walking off the set and then we're screwed. Just talk about it beforehand. Because here's the thing. Had the actor, even the night before, sent me a thing saying, hey, I had some ideas for this. What do you think about this? I would have said, yeah, I like those changes. Let's do it. Instead, you made it confrontational. You made it obnoxious. That's, that's something you don't want to do. Another example. I am, in this process, the director. And I don't mean to sound like a complete egomaniac, but you know what? It's like a ship. You know, it's like the military. I'm the captain, damn it. <laughs> you don't step on the feet of the captain without consequences. And it's like that, not because my ego is too fragile to deal with other people's ideas. It's like that because it's the best way to make sure everyone does their job that they are assigned and you have order and you get a movie <laughs> in the end. You do that just so that things are understood. Everyone understands their, their role. Everyone understands their job. And we're all working toward the same goal. So as the director's job, you're kind of the captain, right? 
you have to make decisions. If I give someone permission to make certain decisions explicitly, then they can because I gave them that permission. It's not about me just having the power, for instance, to do whatever the hell I want. I'm sure there's some of you listening out there that may have worked with me and be like, oh yeah, whatever, ego boy. The truth is, is that I have collaborated with many different actors and technicians over the years. And if an idea is brought to me at an appropriate time and we can discuss it, a lot of times I'm open to it. But as the captain of the ship, if I don't like it and I say no, that's the end of it. Don't throw a hissy fit and don't go around telling people how horrible I am because that's happened too. But the story's different every time, of course, depending on who's being talked to. The story ends up being transmutated into whatever works to paint me in the worst possible light. But that's okay, because I'm continuing to make movies, and if I get bogged down in the bull crap, then I'm just I'm going to drive myself nuts, and it doesn't, it doesn't matter, because I'm still making movies the way I want to make them, and that's what I want to do. And you, if you want to make movies, you should too. Do it the way you want to. Everyone else has ideas. You know what they say about opinions. <laughs> the cardinal sin is, I've had this happen several times. Someone asks me a question. For instance, like, how do you imagine this line should come out? Is it like this or is it like this? And before I'm even given a chance to speak, someone else answers the question. That is the cardinal sin on one of my sets. You do that. You will never work with me ever again, because no matter what you think you know, no matter what you think your role is, that question was mine to answer. Without even giving me a chance to answer, you basically said, this idiot doesn't know, I know better. And the truth is, you don't. Don't ever do that. Now, that's not to say if someone asks me a question and I answer it and they're still not clear and I try to clarify and I'm still not clear and they're like, eh, I'm not getting it. And I turn to you and say, do you understand what I'm saying? If you say, yes, I think I do, then you might take a crack at it. If I feel like what you said makes sense and that person feels like what you said makes sense and we're all on the same page, boom, we're good. But if I ask a question and then you answer it, well, you can go to hell. <laughs> No, there have been several, well, I wouldn't say several, about three, and I think they know who they are, uh, who did this to me. And the moment they did was pretty much the moment in my head I said, okay, well, this is the last movie you're working on. And I smiled and I was nice until they were done and then they were done. Because it's a lack of respect for what it is I'm supposed to be doing. And it's an inflating of your own self-worth in the hierarchy and I'm not saying I'm worth more than anyone else, but you're stepping on the toes of the captain, and you don't do that. Just like, ultimately, if you're doing a particular job in the production, I'm not going to come and tell you how to do your job. I'll tell you what I want, and then you make it happen. Or you say, well, what do you think of this? And then you show me, and I say, oh, I like that better. Let's do that. That is collaboration in the hierarchy structure of the benevolent dictatorship of a movie. No matter how friendly you are to me, no matter how much we hang out outside of making films, when we're on set, I am the leader of this expedition, and you have to respect that. And I will respect your job, and I won't tell you how to do it. I'll just tell you what I'd like to see, and then you do your job. Actors, too. I don't ride actors. I don't get on them. Sometimes won't say anything. I'll just see what they think. And if I like it, I'll let them do it. I'm a, actually a pretty easy director to work with. If I have something really specific, I'll tell you. If I want to give you some more room to figure it out, then you can. If you need me to hold your hand, chances are you probably won't be in more than one movie. Lastly, I think one of the worst things you can do is make executive decisions without my input or the director's input. For instance, I once had an actor go out and spend a bunch of money on stuff that 
was never discussed with me prior. And this actor just felt that they had some sort of executive decision-making ability that I never granted. And then showed up on the day they were shooting and said, well, I spent this money on this and this money on this and this money on this. And I did this and this and this. Here's the bill. You owe me the money. And I was like, wait a minute, what? (laughs) So you went off and spent a bunch of money on stuff that had you talked to me first, maybe we could have found cheaper solutions or I could have said yay or nay. But you just went off, spent a bunch of money and then said, okay, here's the receipts. You owe me, you owe me the money that I spent without talking to me first, without, hey, I'm thinking of doing this. You think this would be okay? And I probably would have said, yeah, sure, that's fine. But several times this particular person would make executive decisions without my input as if this person uh, had a bigger role to play in the memoriverse. And this just wasn't in movies. This was an outside stuff too, like giving away information after I specifically said, don't put this on social media. And there it was on social media or going off and, and say commissioning uh, collectibles or something without even talking to me about it. And I, I, I value the fact that this person was willing to take some initiative, but ultimately as the owner and curator of the Mimiverse, all things Mimiverse, everything lives and dies by me. If only because any bad decisions made are going to fall on my shoulders no matter what. It doesn't matter who makes them. I'm going to have to, it doesn't matter what messes are made. I'm going to have to clean them up. And the bad stuff is going to affect me and the Mimiverse no matter who did it, because, and this is the joke I make with Mark Hader, I can't win no matter what I do. Uh, I'm the boss. Who likes the boss? No one likes the boss, because he's the boss. So when I do well, I get kudos, and then so ever, so does everyone else who who helped. You know, the moment you you do good, everyone's there to say, look at me, I did good too. Didn't we all do good collectively? The moment you screw up or you do bad, it's like, oh, God, the director sucks. It's all his fault. I had nothing to do with that. I was strong-armed into it. And that that's the lesson I've learned the hard way over the years. You're going to come across people who don't understand the, you know, where they fit in in the hierarchy of how things work. Some people get it. And those are the folks that end up in every movie. Mitch Gonzalez is a very good example. He creates all the monsters for the Mimiverse, and he does an amazing job. And the point is, with him, is that I don't ever have to, like, bug him, other than sometimes he's a little slow on deadlines. But he knows it, and he's making amends for it. He's like, okay, I know I have to get it done. And he's doing it. He does his job. Sometimes he shoots ideas at me, and I'm like, oh, those are cool ideas. Let's do it. And sometimes I'm like, "Eh, I don't know about that. I don't know. But we collaborate. We go back and forth. We understand And he gets that he does a very specific service to the Mimiverse, and we love him for it, and he does an amazing job. And because he does it so well, and because we figured out a great way to work together and collaborate, and everything works the way it should. If he has ideas, he runs them by me. Or I often give him just free reign to to make the monsters great. Like I said, I'm making this Wearskeeto movie. Okay, I'm on it. I'll make a Wearskeeto face. And we went back and forth and we had discussions and there were there were sketches made and then we went back and forth and, and sketches changed. And finally, we have ourselves the look and feel of it based on that collaboration. But at no time did he say, I got this and just go off and do it and be like, this is what you're stuck with. Here's the bill, <laughs> which kind of happened in the past with other people, not Mitch. It's the lesson I've learned, which is that if you're going to be making a movie, if you're going to be working on a movie, if you're thinking of making a movie, understand that the most efficient way to make a movie is to keep everybody on the same page of knowing exactly where it is you fit in this puzzle. If you are difficult to work with or think that your job encompasses more than it really does, you're not going to be invited back, at least in my set. If you were to do some of this crap on like a Hollywood set, you would be kicked off immediately and just replaced. Unfortunately, a lot of times I didn't have the luxury of being able to find new people. So I dealt with it through that production and then goodbye. 
I don't I don't want this to make me sound cranky or something, but it's just something that that had become blatantly apparent over the last 10 years. I respect actors for the jobs they do. I respect the behind the scenes folks for what they do. Please do me the favor and if you're ever working on it, please do the director the favor of respecting what it is that he or she does. That is their job. Let them do it. Don't make it more difficult. Do your job. They'll do theirs. Together, maybe we'll end up with an amazing film that wins a Rondo. Go to RondoAward.com and vote for Danny Johnson Saves the World. And don't forget to also vote for Monster Kid Radio for Best Podcast. All right, that's enough of that. And now, before we hear from Derek Cook of Monster Kid Radio, I want to read a couple of Amazon reviews. Because I, I got a couple of good ones that I really want to share. This one was made on February 5th, 2016, uh, for Cave Woman on Mars. And it's entitled, Thanks for the Memories by Richard. Now. I think I have a good idea of who this is, but it's still a good, I I like it. And it, it makes a very good point that I want to share with you. So here it goes. Budget, zero. Production values, zero. Plot, goofy. Script, turgid. Performances, veer from acceptable to atrocious. Entertainment value, somehow more than the sum of its meager parts. I appreciate the effort put in by the handful of people involved. Their films are clearly a labor of love. Heck, give this and their other uber-independent films a try. I'm sure they could use the money. The truth is, yes, we could. Now, of course, is The Giant Spider, uh, because The Giant Spider is still one of my best-selling films, until, of course, Where Skeeto Nazi Hunter comes out, and uh, therefore it gets the most love or hate on Amazon. The last couple have been fantastic, and I want to share them with you, partially because I want to make one little point based on the second one. But anyway, the first one, the most recent, was literally made yesterday. It was five stars, delightful. It was nicely done for the genre, and the best part was the credits. This was a family affair, complete with family pet and borrowed goat. The Giant Spider was my first Mim film, and definitely not my last. Cool. This one was made on January 6th, and I think it's one of my favorites ever. It's not a, a five-star review. It's a four-star review. It's a good review. But because it made a very good point that I've been trying to continue to make with my films since the beginning, and I'm really pushing uh, because I want people to understand this, it was four stars by someone named Kate, and it just says, Fun movie. Fun, campy movie appropriate for all ages. Our two-year-old loves this movie as much as her grandpa. That, right there, is what I want out of the Mimiverse. I like the idea of cross-generational appeal. I like that kids can watch my movies and have a good time just as much as their grandparents. It's goofy, it's fun, And this is the whole point of being a monster kid. Monster kids love these cheesy old monster movies because they are fun. Because they're inclusive. All you gotta do is like monsters and goofiness and you're in. That review right there is exactly what I'm going for. I want kids of all ages to enjoy my films. That's what I want. And you're listening to this, so chances are you do. And I appreciate you. Thank you very much means a lot to me. I really want nothing more than to continue to make movies. Nothing in my life creatively has ever brought me as much joy as as this. It's just so damn fun. And to see this stuff come together. And see, this is the thing. Now that I'm shooting Wereskito Nazi Hunter and I'm back together with the actors and, and the monster Mitch and just all these, I mean, just doing this, this, this is what I live for is making movies and having a good time. I'm just excited as hell for all the stuff that I'm working on, including the Phantom Lake Almanac. I hope you guys like it and we can continue to do it. I hope I can continue to make movies. I have a million ideas and I want to get them out. I want to share them. And that begins with you. Please contribute. (laughs) It's all a great sales pitch. But seriously, go to wearskeeto.com, W-E-R-E-S-Q-U-I-T-O.com, and contribute to the film if you have not yet or if you want to give us some more. Please vote for Danny Johnson Saves the World for the Rondo at RondoAward.com. 
I appreciate your support. We all do. And we would love nothing more than to continue to do this because there's just nothing in this world that I find more exciting or more fun than making monster movies and sharing them with you folks. Thank you again. Right now, we're going to throw it off to Derek Cook of Monster Kid Movies to talk about a very cool classic film. When we come back, chapter 13 of the Canoe Cops vs. the Mummy serial, and then another bad joke from Midnight Monster Movies with Dr. Bob. Talk to you in a while. When I'm not checking out the latest updates at SaintEuphoria.com or watching one of the movies directed by Christopher Armim, I'm producing my own show, Monster Kid Radio, where we celebrate the classics and sometimes not-so-classic genre cinema of yesteryear. I'm Derek M. Cook, and I love classic monster movies, and that's why I love the movies of Christopher R. Mim. He draws his inspiration from a lot of these classic monster movies, these classic horror and sci-fi films from the 50s, and I can't help but notice possible inspirations from some of these classic movies, like maybe 1958's The Space Children. Now, this is a Paramount film, but it's directed by a man whose name is synonymous with universal science fiction, and that would be the man Jack Arnold. Now, Jack Arnold is probably best known, at least to people around me, because I won't stop talking about this movie. He directed Creature from the Black Lagoon. He also directed his follow-up, Revenge of the Creature. He did It Came From Outer Space and a number of other science fiction films and would also go on to direct the Vincent Price episode of The Brady Bunch. So he's got his feet firmly set in the genre. Now, I apologize. I would be playing a trailer for the Space Children right here. However, I couldn't find one online outside of the Trailers from Hell Joe Dante commentary of the trailer. So if you are interested in that kind of thing, go check that out. It's easy to find on YouTube. Now, the Space Children, it's a lean and mean movie. It's a short film. It runs just barely over an hour, and it is about children. But they're not from outer space. They're influenced by something from outer space. You see, their parents are all involved in a project involving a rocket. Well, it's the 1950s, so, you know, it's some military scientists getting together to try to get people up into outer space, weapons into outer space, that sort of thing. Well, there's an outside presence, an alien from space, that doesn't want to see this happen. So it uses the children. So the space children are the protagonists of the movie. Yeah, we spend some time with their parents and that sort of thing. One of them is actually Uncle Fester, Jackie Coogan's in the movie. And it's so hard not to think of the Adams family whenever he's on screen just because it's such a recognizable face. But it doesn't take away from the film. In fact, I really enjoy this film. I feel like it's underrated and really needs to be seen. Now, it is available on Blu-ray now as a bare bones edition. Olive Films put it out a little bit ago. I wish there was more out there for it, though. There was an article in Scary Monsters magazine covering this film a little while ago. But other than that, this movie's one of those movies that doesn't get talked about a lot, I think. And that's a shame. It's a fun, light, family-friendly movie, much like Danny Johnson Saves the World. In fact, I would team these two movies up as an incredibly fun double feature. And hey, speaking of Danny Johnson Saves the World, congratulations to Chris. This movie is on the ballot for the 14th annual Rondo Hatton Classic Horror Award, category number seven, Best Independent Film. How many times has Chris been on the ballot? How many times have movies from the Mimiverse been represented on the Rondo ballot? You know what would be awesome? Listeners, head over to rondoaward.com and learn how you can submit your vote. It's an open ballot. And if you think it's time for Chris to get his due with Danny Johnson Saves the World, well, you'll know what to do. And, you know, while you're over there, if you want to check out category number 17, yeah, Monster Kid Radio is up for best multimedia horror site. You don't have to vote in every category of the Rondo Awards, okay? I think that's a misconception. A lot of people feel intimidated because they haven't seen everything. They don't know about the different categories, that sort of thing. You don't have to vote in every category. In fact, if you just want to go over there and vote only Chris's movie... And or Monster Kid Radio, that's okay. You can do that. Again, RondoAward.com is where you're going to want to go for that. You can find me on my home podcast, Monster Kid Radio, at MonsterKidRadio.net every Tuesday. And we talk about nothing but these types of movies. The movies that we love so much from this era, from the 30s through the 60s, with occasional toe-dipping outside of that time period for some films that might throw back to this era, like the movies of Christopher R. Mem. This has been Monster Kid Movies with Monster Kid Radio's Derek M. Cook. Mm-hmm.
Good stuff. Thank you, Derek. All right. I say we jump right into it. Canoe Cops versus the Mummy, Chapter 13, written by Stephen D. Sullivan. Of course, you can check them out online at stephendsullivan.com, or you can support these Canoe Cops stories uh, and other cool stuff via Mr. Sullivan's Patreon page at cushinghorrors.com, C-U-S-H-I-N-G-H-O-R-R-O-R-S.com. Mr. Sullivan works very hard uh, at what he does, and he's brought us 13 chapters of this amazing serial, and of course we have like six more, and it's cool, and I think you like it. I know a lot of people have told me how much they like it, and he's worked very hard at it, and he's done it for free. I think uh, you should go check him out, uh, check out his Patreon, and consider donating. Every little bit helps us independent creators to survive. You should support... Stephen Sullivan. You should support Dr. Bob Tesla of Midnight Monster Movies with Dr. Bob. You should support the Monster Kid Radio. Anyway, this is Chapter 13, Canoe Cops vs. the Mummy, entitled Incident at the Exhibit, a.k.a. Sacrifice. And it goes something like this. We are nearly ready, my darling. You won't have to wait much longer. The replica of your tomb has been prepared down to the tiniest detail. Soon, the moon and the stars will meet in the proper conjunction, and you will live and breathe once more. Is this creature on the altar really worthy to house my Ka, Ardoth? She is not a princess, is she? No, sweet Amunisis, she is no princess. But you have to understand, princesses are difficult to come by in this day and age. There are so few left and none at all in our native land of Egypt. Yet she is beautiful, is she not? Yes, she is lovely, tall and fair, with perfect skin, luxurious brown hair, and a pleasing, well-toned figure. She is a swimmer by trade, a diver more accurately. I chose her specifically for her physical characteristics. She has the bearing, the looks, and the grace of a princess. Her body will suit you well. And what will happen to my old body? You need not worry about that shriveled husk resting in the Minneapolis Museum of Antiquities, Princess. When the sacrifice is complete, it will crumble into dust, and you will be reborn into this lovely new form. And what of my guardsman Rahotep? Will you find a new body for him, too? Why should I? He serves me, I, I mean you, well enough in his present state. My eyes are displeased by the sight of him as he now exists, Ardoth. Do not look so shocked, my would-be suitor. Rahotep offends me even now, as he stands by the sacrificial altar staring at us with his empty eye sockets. Is his appearance not appalling? Appalling, yes, but his devotion to you cannot be questioned, my princess. He volunteered to be slain so that he could stand guard over you for all eternity— after your death, the high priest adorned him with your favorite necklace, as a sign of his pledge to you and yours to foolish priests. That necklace was mine. But you promised it to Rahotep, when you were alive, as a chaste token of a promise I never intended to keep. What men and women whisper to each other in the night are mere words, Ardoth, nothing more. That necklace belonged to me, and once I live, it shall be mine once more. For all of time. Most assuredly, my love. Take it now if you wish. You seem solid enough at the moment. I am and I shall. Tell me this, though. Why did you give my prized possession to this callow American girl? Only to mark her, so that Rahotep would know his victim when the time came, so that you might live again. And you will make him live again, Ardoth? Will you find Rahotep a comely body that does not offend my sight? He was so handsome in life, and so tall, and... Why do you shake your head, my would-be lover? Because the time of Rahotep has passed, princess. I know he was once royal executioner, but, in truth, he was never worthy to be more than a guardsman to you. Your scowl perplexes me, your highness. Yes, Rahotep's sacrifice was great. But has not my own been great as well? I have transgressed the laws of both man and gods to come to this moment, to bring about your resurrection. I have plundered the tombs of Egypt. I have dug in the sacred burial grounds where none were meant to dig. I have lied, stolen, and slain, 
all for you. It was Rahotep who did the slaying. Yes, but at my command. And if we were discovered, it is I who would pay the ultimate price. Without the ring I wear to control him, the ring I stole from its sacred resting place, the mummy is nothing. Rahotep is but a husk. It is my soul, my body and brain, that overflows with love for you, Amunisis. Together, you and I shall sail rivers of passion as deep and long as the eternal Nile, such sensual voyages as were denied you during your all-too-brief lifespan. Why do you smile so, princess? I think that perhaps you overestimate my inexperience, Ardoth. I am a blooded princess of Egypt. What I desire in life, I took. Take me, then, my love. Take me as you wish. Who in this lifetime has sacrificed more for you than I? In this lifetime, none. Then say you are mine. Say that you love me as I love you, and that we shall be together for all eternity. First, complete the sacrifice. I shall, though the time is not yet upon us. Not quite. Behold the ceremonial dagger of Anubis, which I have stolen in secret from your tomb. With it, more than three thousand years ago, your body was ritually prepared for burial. Now, in just a few short moments, I shall plunge this very blade into the chest of Miss Browning. Here, just below the breastbone, and into the— Get away from me, you creep! Ah, Miss Browning, I see that you are awake. You're damn right I'm awake. Get away from me, you freaks! What in the heck do you think you're doing? Untie me! Such a pity. Your death would have been much more painless if you remained asleep. Asleep, my eye! When I get out of these ropes, I'll show you pain, you little weasel. Ardoth, are you sure that this foul-mouthed creature is worthy to be my vessel? Can you doubt it, my princess? Not only such a lovely body, but such fire in her as well. Hey, you're the little witch that was following me tonight. The one with the cats. You got a beef with me, lady? Well, cut me loose and we'll settle it face to face, woman to woman. <laughs> Perhaps you are right, Ardoth. Such fire. It's almost a shame to snuff her out. Snuff me out? Good God, you people are psycho. Help! Somebody help me! There is no one here to help you, Miss Browning. There's only the princess and Rahotep and I, and we have other plans. Help! Help me! Scream all you want. There is no one to hear. Help! But don't worry, Miss Browning. Soon you'll have a better life. Get your hands off me, you bastard! What do you think you're doing? In just a few short moments, I will plunge the dagger of Anubis into your heaving breast, and you will die. And when you awaken once more, you will be a princess of Egypt. Alrighty then. It is getting quite exciting. Next month, we'll continue the story, and uh, I think we're, we're definitely heading toward the big climax. This is good stuff. What will happen? I don't know. I'm not reading ahead because I want to find out just as you do. Thank you, Steve, for this amazing story. I can't wait to see it continue. Now, remember, if you're enjoying the Canoe Cops vs. the Mummy ongoing serial, please head over to stephendsullivan.com or cushinghorrors.com and send a little love Mr. Sullivan's way. Now, before I send it over to Dr. Bob Tesla of Midnight Monster Movies with Dr. Bob, of which you can find him on the web at midnightmonstermovies.com, uh, I have one last thing to say, and if you've listened to the podcast more than once, you know what it is, but I'm going to say it again because it's very important to reiterate this every month. Be good, but if you can't do that, be good at it. Thank you very much for listening, and now, Dr. Bob. <laughs> it is I, Dr. Bob Tesla, with your Mimiverse Joke of the Month. A mathematician, an accountant, and an economist apply for the same job. The interviewer calls in the mathematician and asks, what does two plus two equal? The mathematician replies, four, exactly. Then the interviewer brings in the accountant and asks the same question, what does two plus two equal? The accountant says, on average, four, give or take 10%, but on average, four. The interviewer calls in an economist and proposes the same question, what does two plus two equal? The economist gets up, locks the door, closes the shade, and sits down next to the interviewer. What do you want it to equal? Come out to the Gateway Film Center on March 12th when we will be showing Oblivion. 
No, not the Tom Cruise movie from a couple years back. This one is a sci-fi space western written by Peter David and starring George Takei and Julie Newmar. And also, make sure you get your tickets now for the Mimathon, April 16th, 24 hours of Christopher R. Mim movies. Who could ask for anything more? Check us out at www.midnightmonstermovies.com.